Gerber 360 stems really from the fact that I just love Garba. Garba is a folk tradition that comes from Gujarat. And I grew up going to Garbas with a couple hundred people to like 10,000 people. Yet, a lot of people, if you're not Gujarati, even within the South Asian community, or even if you zoom in smaller, the Indian community, you probably have not gone to a Garba, right? So when I think about my work to amplify South Asian arts and cultures, a lot of it is about showcasing the diversity within South Asian art forms. Welcome to Stories from the Top, a production of A2SF. In this episode, Hina Patel, CEO of Mela Arts Connect, talks about her upbringing in Toronto, Canada, how she transitioned from being a sanitation engineer into a tabla player and performing arts entrepreneur, and where she is now as a cultural connector for arts organizations. Over the years, and through Mela, she's assumed the roles of producer, booking agent, manager, dancer, musician, teaching artist, and diversity and equity advocate. She serves as producer and artistic director for the immersive dance experience Garba 360, which is part of the 2021 A2SF Summer Festival season. And now, Hina Patel. I was born and raised in Toronto. I'm a child of Gujarati immigrants. Um, Gujarati means that they come from the state of Gujarat in India. And I was really blessed in my childhood um, in that I grew up in a really large Indian community and not even Indian, more specifically Gujarati community. I grew up in Toronto in the 80s and the 90s and Toronto was known as the most multicultural city in the world, right? Which was a very big difference compared to a lot of my South Asian peers in the United States where they were, a lot of them were really growing up in predominantly white communities as the few South Asians or Indians. I grew up in a very multicultural space. As cliched or as stereotypical as it is, my reality was that my parents wanted me to become a doctor, engineer, or lawyer. Um, so I follow, I was the good Indian child. My dad is an engineer as well, by the way. So I was a good Indian child and studied to be an engineer. At the same time, I will say my parents were also community organizers. So I grew up doing competitions in Garba. Like, so Mike and my parents were leaders in the community, organizing these competitions, organizing our community to pass on these traditions to the kids. So I grew up dancing, choreographing, and being really involved in the Indian and Gujarati community culturally beyond just Garba as well, because my parents were so active in it. And so even through college, everyone knew me, like my friends knew me as the girl who did stuff around water and poop because I was a water and sanitation, studying to become a water and sanitation engineer or environmental engineer and the girl who danced. So my college experience was also, it was engineering, but as just as much I was doing dancing. I moved to India. Uh, to get field experience because I was going to get my doctorate in environmental engineering. So I was working on water and sanitation issues, helping to actually build toilets and do hygiene and sanitation awareness campaigns in villages and slum communities. And at the same time, 
I started taking tabla classes, um, which is studying this Indian classical percussion instrument because I was going to be in India for two years and I wanted to dive into a classical art form because my upbringing was really around the folk and Bollywood or commercial cultural art forms. And so I started taking tabla classes, fell in love, and honestly, engineering went to the wayside. Were my parents happy about it? whole separate story of navigating my career choices with my my parents and the community at large but um yeah that's that's sort of where how it happened of engineering the engineer turned into a tabla player and the tabla player then turned into an artist manager and a touring artist and then became now I am where I am with the producing and being the cultural strategist and everything else and you know I guess the short version of the story about my parents and the community is that my parents go like, what are you doing? And I go, I'm doing what you did in your volunteer time. I'm just doing it professionally. My journey in the arts started off as a booking agent and an artist manager um, for my musical family, right? I was studying Indian classical music. So I have my guru, my teacher, and then my music siblings. And really there's this concept within Indian classical arts of your musical family, right? The people that all study under the same teacher, they're your brothers and your sisters. So I was working with my musical family. We had a couple of different projects within our family that I was the agent and the manager for. And I navigated my world like I was very clear, by the way, I was sitting in India. So Google was my best friend and I'm going to the Internet cafes at like 10 p.m. to make phone calls at morning time in the U.S. and stuff like that. And I am navigating how to bring these South Asian artists into the mainstream spaces because there's a massive diaspora in North America that I grew up in. Right. But I didn't want these artists just to be diaspora artists. I didn't want them just to be presented by the diaspora for the diaspora because these art forms are so beautiful that I wanted to take them into larger spaces, right? And at that point, this was, I would say, the late 2000s. You only really saw Zakir Ji, Zakir Hussain, um, the late Ravi Shankar Ji, you saw, like Anushka Shankar. You saw them in the mainstream spaces and then you saw... Like an artist would do one or two gigs in the mainstream, but there really wasn't a lot of South Asian representation. So first I had to figure out what the heck this industry was, because I didn't know anything about it. Right. I didn't even know what it meant to be an agent. I learned the ropes five, six years, figure my way around it, go to conferences like APAP, um, or like, you know, how I got, I learned about the Ann Arbor Summer Festival, learn about how these organizations work. Um, but still am one of the few South Asian people in these conferences and in these spaces in the industry, right? And so after I've learned a little bit more about it, my artists start finding success, you know, cause I'm working actively to get them into these spaces other South Asian artists start reaching out to me going, can you work with us? So I expand and start working with more artists. So I'm still within this niche of global arts, right? So AKA non-Eurocentric, non-Western art forms, right? Don't really like the term world or global, but we're going to use it right now for the sake of that is the larger framework of the industry. Start working with them and I'm making a lot of progress 
in supporting this handful of artists, right? But if I look at the industry at large, I'm like, there's not enough that's shifting. And as I'm having conversations with organ uh, people who make these decisions, I'm seeing that there's a changing tide that's happening in the industry about wanting to be more diverse, wanting to be more representative of communities that we're in. But a lot of people are quite frankly white, right? And don't are, are like, they're like, we want to do this, but we don't know how, right? And how does any individual learn about a gazillion cultures and go deep in different cultures all at one time? It's sort of impossible for anyone to do that, right? So I took a step back and I'm like, okay, either I can work with a handful of artists, um, but does that still solve my pain point with there not being enough South Asian representation, right? And it doesn't, it doesn't. So I decided to step back and go, instead of working with just a small handful, I want to help organizations in general be able to present more culturally specific work, right? And that means that I need to broaden sort of my offerings because what I was doing is I said, here are my four artists that are square pegs and I'm trying to force fit them into these round programming slots, right? So instead, let's work with the organizations to go, what are your needs? Let's understand who you are and identify artists that make sense for you, right? So what I sort of shifted how I wanted to approach my work in the sector, that's really when Mela Arts Connect emerged. Um, you know, I, I created a new company because it was a new way of working, right? And I wanted people to come with an open mind. So that's how my work as a cultural connector and a cultural strategist really got started, where I had this massive database of South Asian artists across genres, classical, folk, contemporary, fusion, even though I don't like that term, right, of South Asian artists that are based in the United States and Canada, as well as coming from the Indian subcontinent and from South Asia, and going, okay, how do we fit people together in ways that make sense? And, and in a way that's respectful and supportive for everyone's needs. So that's really where, that's how Mela Arts Connect emerged. And then along the way, then my conversation started getting broader with people because I was working, approaching my work differently. And so I started seeing these spaces of like, oh, it would be really cool if there was something like this that existed, right? And that's how Bollywood Boulevard and Garba 360 emerged as things that I used to be a dancer and, and a creator. Like I was a bubble up player. I like had a dance company and stuff and I choreographed, right? But I had stepped away from being an artist for a, a while and now I could come back and step into me being the artist again by putting on my producer hat or a creative producer hat because I would support other people's productions too as a producer. But I could put on my creative hat um, and I created work that really stemmed from my lived experiences growing up as a Gujarati in, in Toronto, right? And Bollywood and Gujarati folk culture were my life. I grew up going to Garbas with a couple hundred people to like 10,000 people. Yet, a lot of people, if you're not Gujarati, even within the South Asian community, or even if you zoom in smaller, the Indian community, a lot of people haven't experienced Garba. Because unless you're friends with a Gujarati, who's taken you one, or you're at a college campus where the Gujarati kids go, we want to do a Garba, or you have a Gujarati friend that gets married and has a Garba event as part of their like multi-day wedding ceremony, 
you probably have not gone to a garba, right? So when I think about my work to amplify South Asian arts and cultures, a lot of it is about showcasing the diversity within South Asian art forms, right? So people have heard of Bollywood. A lot of folks have heard of different classical dance forms like Bharatanatyam or Kathak or Odyssey, right? We have some wonderful performers of these art forms in the Ann Arbor community even. So specifically people from Ann Arbor, like in the Ann Arbor Summer Festival community might have heard of these classical dance forms. People have heard of Bhangra, right? And like the really bad stereotype of like twist the light bulb, pat the dog, right? But they've heard of Bhangra. But there's all these other gorgeous traditions that are not so well known. And Garba is one that's literally done by millions of people in the period of nine nights, right? So it blows my mind. And so it's just something that I'm Gujarati. So I wanted to share this experience. And also, I want to do Garba outside of Navratri. And there's not a lot of reasons to do it. So there's also that selfish part of it. So Garba 360 was about how do I take this quintessential Gujarati experience right and make it accessible for other people to participate in without also diluting the experience right because it's also important like for me as a producer it's really important to not quote-unquote whitewash the art form or an experience I want to make it accessible but there's a fine line in terms of how do you make like not make it so basic that those who participate in it feel like it's just not the same anymore right so when you go to a garba um there's a band that plays the music and people just start dancing if you don't know what you're doing you're hoping someone teaches you or you're kind of flailing your arms and trying to follow along I was always the person growing up who if I saw a random person, literally a random person who didn't know what they're doing, I will walk up to them and go, do you want me to teach you? And I will teach them how to do it, right? That's just part of who I am. So I took that and with a Gerba 360 event, we said, okay, we're gonna have a band or a DJ. Band's always more fun, right? We're gonna have a band and we're gonna have dance instructors. So before we do each segment, so a Gerba night, so Gerba is the name of a folk dance form like a specific style of movement, and it also refers to the night or the event at which Garba is performed, okay? Just like a little bit of language for lingo there for a second. So a Garba night will have like three to four different segments. There's a two-clap Garba, there's a three-clap Garba, there can be a partner stick dance called Dandiaras, and then there's what I call the potpourri of folk forms, which includes our version, like we have a Gujarati version, or it actually comes from a tribal community version of like the Macarena, like, you know, a fixed sequence of steps that you do in four different directions. We have our version of like a Congo line and stuff, so that's the potpourri of art forms that you do at the end. So what we did is that we're going to do that. We're going to pick up different segments. But before each segment, we're going to have a little dance instruction so that everyone can learn so we can all dance it together. Right. So it was about adding these elements that create greater access and understanding so that more people can participate. And I will say this. I've actually had Indians come up to me after Garba 360 events going, oh my God, thank you. I've been going to Garba events, but no one ever actually taught me how to do this. So today I actually felt competent <laughs> and I could know what I was doing, which, which was kind of cool. And one of the things that was insane, like me and my friends who are Gujaratis and have 
grown up doing Garba, we're like, we've never seen this happen, is that at a Garba 360 event, because we teach everyone the moves together and we count them in, everyone's doing the moves at the same time, which would not happen at a community event, because at the community event, people just start dancing when they feel ready and do, there's different types of steps you can do, so they'll do their own sequences. So that was really, really, that was an unexpected thing, like that my first Garba 360 event to see like several hundred people clap, clap, hands in the air, turn all at the same time was just like, whoa, so cool, so cool. I often speak about my work in being able to move between insider and outsider privilege. And what I mean by that is that I didn't grow up in Ann Arbor. I don't live in Ann Arbor, right? Um, The South Asian community in Ann Arbor is not a community that I am an insider of or I am a part of, right? My my day-to-day life is not connected to the Ann Arbor community, right? So in that sense, I'm an outsider. At the same time, there are common threads around the South Asian experience across North America, right? With my work in terms of understanding the nuances between what are the differences maybe between a Gujarati community and a Tamil community or Telugu community or a Bengali community in terms of their festivals or their traditions or their art forms, right? Those are things that come from me also being a part of the community at large and give me insider privilege. So when I am able to work with organizations like yourself, like the Ann Arbor Summer Festival, um, it's about being able to step in and out of those privileges where I'm not familiar with necessarily the nuances of a, of a community itself. And there's politics, for example, within every community. So I can come in as someone who understands terminology. So we're not spending time when they're like, well, we can't do something at this time because it's Navratri. We're not sitting going, what's Navratri? What are the dates? We can keep moving and going, okay, so what? we can move more towards other, deep in the conversation. So that's where it's the insider privilege. But then the outsider privilege is that I'm also coming into a room not knowing who, who are people who maybe occupy more positions of power influence and maybe voices that are not as heard as much. And I can equalize the room in that sense, right? Because there's, for example, in my own journey, as a child of immigrants, as a South Asian woman, I've been doing a lot of work to unpack the patriarchy, right? And there's a lot of that within the community, um, particularly with men maybe having a larger voice or power influence versus women, or younger voices maybe not being heard as much versus older voices because there is these ideas around hierarchy and respect, which are important, right? But often certain voices can get marginalized, right? So being able to come in not aware of necessarily those internal dynamics to create a space where more voices can be heard is part of the outsider privilege. For me, being a cultural strategist is about supporting organizations and the sector at large in building cultural equity. My lens towards this work really stems from amplifying South Asian arts, culture, and community, because that really is my lived experience. So I really bring that niche understanding of this community that goes beyond my lived experience because I tap into my larger community because 
my experience is not that of every other South Asian, right? Um, but it's really to provide a means to facilitate building intentional, um, in, intentional, inclusive environments that really are representative of all the people within a community, right? But again, my lens will be more focused on the South Asian community. So my work as a cultural strategist is helping translate between organizations and entities and parties, helping un facilitate understanding and really to be a bridge builder, quite frankly, right? That as someone who comes from the community and as someone who understands the arts sector, how can I bring these people together in ways that are supportive for everyone? Because a big thing for me in what feels really good about this work or when what I define as success is for me, success in this work is when every party feels like they are benefiting and getting something out of this, right? So when I work with organizations who are largely, you know, historically white organizations, right? Because that is a lot of the field um, in general, is that it's not about it being something that works for the organization to just go, look, now we have South Asian artists, or I want to get South Asian artists for this one show. It's saying these communities have existed without you for decades, right? And you need to acknowledge them and for their sovereignty and who they are. And if we're going to be build partnerships, it really needs to be in the best interest of everyone involved, which means that everyone has to leave preconceived notions at the door, right? And engage in this with, um, with a desire to be there that's not that's defined by more than just the bottom line. Thank you for listening to this production of A2SF. We would like to thank our team, including our interns, associate producer Bonnie Bremer, and the sound engineer, Evan Starr. Our marketing and communications manager, Natalie Robbins. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Nadim Azam and mixed and mastered by Elliot Saba. Me, I'm programming and operations manager, James Carter. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate us, and share the joy with someone you love. The Ann Arbor Summer Festival, A2SF, is supported by a generous community of individuals, foundations, and local businesses. Please consider donating to the festival at a2sf.org slash donate.